and welcome to Tape Ops Discussion, where we call our friends and music community notables to chat about their favorite records. Enjoy. Hey, Dan, it's Jeff. Hey, man. What's happening? Oh, just doing my morning routine, stuff like that. What are you doing? Just finished a little breakfast, and now I'm uh, down here at the studio talking to you. I don't need a click track, right? <laughs> <laughs> Count it off, Danny. Welcome to Discussion. I'm Jeff Stanfield. This week, we have banjo master Danny Barnes discussing Joseph Spence's Happy All the Time. So you, you sent me this, uh, this record by Joseph Spence, Happy All the Time, and uh, I've never heard it. Why this one? Why did why did you choose this? Well, that record to me is a real important record for a lot of reasons. And one of them is, you know, it seems like just from being when I was a kid, when I remember when I used to buy 45s and stuff like that, and in the 60s and 70s, and I was taking allowance money and buy, buying records and stuff, that the records really made you feel really good, you know, and the music was sort of, Looking back on it, I think historically a lot of that music that came out um, in certain, you know, by certain artists especially, really was kind of designed to kind of lift lift you up a little bit, make you feel good, you know. And and that record in particular is one of those records. Like when I discovered it, you know, it uh it kind of blew my mind because he has a whole different set of aesthetics than say you know Andreas Segovia or whatever you know or say you know, some guy that plays acoustic guitar on TV. He even has a different set of, like, the way he looks at pitch and stuff like that. And uh, I don't know, it's pretty abstract, really. And it reminds me a lot of that guy, Derek Bailey. If you ever heard of Derek Bailey, you know, super abstract guitar player from back in the day. And uh, and, and even kind of reminds me a little bit of that kind of downtown New York stuff that was kind of happening in the late 60s, early 70s, where it was just like, I don't know. It's just, it's like a different way of getting paint on the canvas, you know, rather than like the idolatry of technique as it were. So that's one reason why I thought that there, there's other reasons as well, but that's, that's one of the reasons why I thought to send it to you. Another reason was I got this theory that since like a lot of the ways people consume music now is just through looking at their phones and stuff that like a guy like Joseph Spence in a way is as big as Metallica. If you're just looking at your phone, you know, because like the one instrument, the, you can sort of crank it up and it just takes up the whole bandwidth of your attention and everything. So it's like, you know, if you watch Metallica video on your phone, you know, it's a big, it looks like a big event, but it's, it's, I mean, there's still like, there's like a video of a guy playing the banjo or something, just one guy. It takes up a lot of room on the, you know, those solo records, you know, of, uh, are, are just have these huge sound, you know. And, uh, and so I thought that was just kind of interesting as well. And another thing is interesting about it is a lot of the music that's on there, I grew up singing in the Church of Christ. I grew up in the Church of Christ, which is a, 
it's sort of, I guess they call it fundamentalist. It's like a, a Bible church, like a real solid New Testament Bible church, kind of austere, but they got shape notes singing in there. And they've been singing these hymns and shape notes for four-part acapella singing for ever since they've had the Church of Christ, I guess since the 1800s or whatever. And so the music is like this kind of ancient tone music. And some of the s- songs he sings on this record, we sang in church. And so I just thought that was interesting. You know, a few of the things, there's like a Venn diagram where it sort of crosses over. So that record just has a lot of meaning to me. And also I'm on kind of a mission. Like I, I like to say if you do a session with somebody and they're having trouble with like tuning or something like that, and they have like a whole day of like kind of people barking at them about tuning or something like that, it's kind of like relieves them of a lot of pressure if after everything is over with, you kind of turn them on to Joseph Spence sort of in an offhand way <laughs> because, you know, he just has a whole different take on all those technical aspects, you know. And so, it, I don't know, I find that record to be charming and beautiful and amazing, you know. And rolling, and rolling, and rolling, yeah i mean you've mentioned the tuning thing twice and his his relationship uh, uh to pitch can you can you expand on that a little bit yeah man like if you ever check out bashful brother oswald he played with Roy Acuff and the Smoky Mountain Boys, and he played the Dobro. And he had this sense of pitch that was, like, very different. Like, where he heard thir- – because with the Dobro slide, see, he could get right in what, the way he heard it, you know. And even, like, his octaves are a little bit different, you know. And and But it's so beautiful, like, the way he plays, you know. Like, I mean, if you hear a, a really old record, he's got this one tune called The End of the World – and it's just a beautiful dobro country instrumental, just beautiful melody, slow, lugubrious kind of thing. But his sense of tuning is just a little bit shifted from, you know, where, like, say, if you go in, if I went into a session now and pulled out a guitar and an engineer's running Pro Tools and everything, and he's, you know, we're trying to get everything in tune, everything in time and all that, you know, there's a certain aesthetic that, anyway, if you check that out, though, there's like a, they hear things in a little different way, you know. And if you listen to a lot of early Ralph Stanley, well, Ralph Stanley, his whole career, like if, if if you write out what he sings, there's like a he has a, just a different concept of where the notes are in the in the octave and stuff, and even where the octave itself starts over. He just has a little different idea where that is, you know. And it's a beautiful sound, and uh, it's a super like uber tempered scale or whatever. I'm not sure how to describe it, but as, as as uh you know and and then also like Mon- Bill Monroe and those guys played around a lot with pitch you know because they didn't have a reference you know like they didn't have to have a play to a piano or anything like that or a horn so they would pitch things up and down tuning wise like they would sort of tune up you know like to G sharp or something and and that would be G you know and they play in G you know another reason why Bill did that was cuz on the Grand Ole Opry if you played people would come out and just strum guitar behind you not knowing the material, and they'd get paid because it was a union job. <laughs> and so he figured out to tune up a little bit, like a half fret up, so that people couldn't do that to him, you know. But it also pitched, you know, made the instruments a little tighter, you know, and made the, made the, it, it scooted everything up in the frequency spectrum of a 78 record a little more. And, 
and uh, gave them a little more oomph, you know, and they kind of cut, you know, it, it does something to a banjo or a guitar if you crank it up just a little bit. It, I don't recommend it, you know, but I mean, it 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 did uh, it did have an, an effect, you know. And anyway, so I just think that's, uh, you know, for like if a guy's interested in making records and he's a guy making, you know, trying to make records and stuff like that, I think it's really important to study those guys, you know, because... You know, like we have this sort of, there's this sort of idolatry of technique. It's like the golden calf of technique as opposed to inspiration. You know, like what comes from the heart is like really what we need as a society is what comes from the heart. And in a sense, like in the Bible, like when I guess Moses came down and they were worshiping the golden calf or whatever, you know, the the thing about the golden calf is like they could build it exactly to their specifications, you know, so they, it wasn't from the heart. It wasn't inspired. They could just sort of build it exactly like they wanted. But the problem with the, the golden calf is it doesn't work. It has no power, you know, in that story. And so, like, you know, if, it, you know we can make these records that are technically perfect and everything, but that sometimes they don't really have a, a, a meaning, really necessarily other than the guy saying you know i can i have these songs or whatever you know but i'm just talking about like when you listen to those old records like if you listen to guys like oscar aylman or you listen to even robert johnson or charlie Patton or or uh, so many of the old musicians you know they just had a a, a way their whole thing uh, some might say the raison d'etre or whatever of their thing was lifting people up with their music you know when you get a glory line you gotta be happy but it is good, there'll be no dying when we get home to glory land. You'll be happy, happy all the time. Meeting with different friends and loved ones, knowing that we shall part no more. You'll be happy. You'll be happy. Yeah, it's uh. I think also it's interesting, you know, just reading about this record, Fritz Richmond recorded this record in Joseph's living room down <laughs> down in the Bahamas. Um, it's pretty raw. Obviously, it's very raw. And oh, the, the, sort of like the weapon of choice back then with those field collectors was a, was a full track Nagra real, little reel-to-reel machine, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess Samuel Charters first recorded him on his porch in like 58 and that stuff came out on... Uh, folkways in, in like 1959 and I guess that that's you know inspired some other folks to want to go down there and record him but you know I did having never really even heard of him um and then doing some research and of course I've heard some of these songs like the dead covered I bid you good night and uh I, I think some other folks yeah Rakuter's got a couple of covers of him too you know yeah you know going back and listening to it his style is obviously influential on you I mean, <laughs> I hear a ton of it in your playing. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you saying that. I, I I I think that like what I was trying to do with my solo thing was to me when you hear a guy like that or a guy like Charlie Patton play, like they're alluding to this giant orchestration that's going on in their head. Like they're not just playing like a boilerplate part. Like in their head, it seems like they have this giant orchestra playing behind them and they like play a little bit of what the viola would play they do a little bit of the harp they do what the bass would play you know they play a little bit of the pizzicato violin thing they do a little bit of the slide trombone they they just they do the piano thing they got a little drum thing like they just allude to all the little horn line pops up in the middle of it you know this little line pops up and and i and i I just love that because it all happens sort of in your in your imagination rather than it being totally spelled out for you like in a contemporary music video you know where you're sort of told what to visualize in a way you know like this just happened in your head you know right Uh, do you have a favorite track on this record man there's so many 
the first one just blows my mind because uh, every time I would play this record for somebody, like just a minute in, they're just like, what is this? You know, <laughs> like if you haven't heard it and you hear it, just I think that first one for me, just because so many times I've sat in a room with a guy and I would go, hey, man, have you ever heard of Joseph Spence? No, I don't really know that. Okay, sit down here for a minute. <laughs> I want to play you this, you know. And it just has a way of, if you, to me, if you look at it in the right way, it really sets you free in a, in a way. To me, like a lot of the form of music really comes, American music comes from gospel music, you know. And a lot of those guys like Sam Cooke and a lot of those guys were gospel musicians you know and like the guy and, and like like I, I saw this interview with carl perkins and he, and he and he was talking about growing up in the kind of a rough part of town with elvis and they wanted to be the stamps quartet they went because the gospel groups were the ones coming through that had the killer clothes and where they were awesome made these killer records and just flip people out and, and just people went nuts was the gospel quartets so you know with the bass singing and all that stuff and and so when they when they started rock and roll music they, they what they were wanting to do at least those two guys was they really wanted to be in a gospel band when they were kids you know so johnny cash too i think he said johnny cash same way like their big idols was the stamps quartet and the blackwood brothers you know so i think that thread of gospel music is really the meaning in a lot of music that comes from blues and jazz and rock and roll music a lot of times i think the sort of antecedent to that is really like that late 1800s gospel music you know there's a lot going on with that you know like the poetry that's in the bible like in revelation like if you heard san uh, sun house he sings has a couple things about Re the book of revelation you know and especially john the revelator in particular but just that whole kind of sense of that that gothic doom you know that he, he had a whole different vibe his thing was more like doom like i had a guy buddy of mine say he saw son uh skip james and it was so heavy he just vomited it was so heavy because skip james is more of like a real gothic sort of terrifying guy you know <laughs> but this but this guy was more like like joseph spence is you know he's also from a different part of the world but his thing was really uplifting you know like like and it reminds me a lot of, like did you ever check out uh pop staples play guitar no pop staples is the same thing he grew up backing up gospel music on the guitar and there's a video of him he played on uh that show david sandborg show night music you remember that you're probably too young to remember uh, yeah i used to re record those to vhs and then watch okay cool you remember that show oh, totally. well, anyway uh there's a pop staples doing nobody's fault but mine on there and he's playing a a, a jaguar an old jaguar into like a trim like a like a probably a twin with the tremolo cranked you know and the reverb cranked and he's playing slide, and and it's, it it just sounds so amazing. But his a lot of his timing and sense of pitch and stuff like that is very similar to Joseph Spence in a way. You know, they just have like a different thing they're doing, and it has the effect of really, really flipping you out in a really good way. It's just like when you first heard uh, Toots and the Maytals or something. You know, it's just like, man, why do I feel so happy right now? <laughs> you know, why is this so awesome? You know, like you can't even or Lee Perry even. You know, it's like, why is this so awesome? I can't stop listening to this. You know, it's, it's so uh, it it enriches me so much and lifts me up. You know, I, and I like listening to records that don't make me want to vomit. <laughs> yeah, my friend saw him at the I think the Philadelphia Folk Festival. That guy Skip Jan. You ever checked him out? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I like. He's super doom, right? Yeah, that's. Uh, you can have like the heaviest doom thing be like a metal record, or you could have it be Skip James. You know? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, and it's really yeah. There, I, I think that's really interesting how that that because it does. It's not like the to the initial perceiver doesn't really catch that. You kind of have to vibe that over a lot of time to understand that. You know, like initially you don't really catch that. You know. Which I think is kind of an interesting thing about like black metal or something like that. Like it's designed to alienate the casual listener. <laughs> it's kind of brilliant in a way. It's like it's so sort of grotesque or whatever. It just it totally alienates anyone that's like not really already into it somehow or something like that. I think sometimes I think sometimes like the the technical imperfections of anything have a way of kind of you know weeding certain people out. You know. <laughs> so can we expect some Joseph Spence covers from you, Danny? Man, I don't think I could even begin to play that thing, man. It's just like, man, it's it's like it's such a it's such it's like a statue or something. It's like it's impossible to. It's so beautiful that that piece is so beautiful, you know. Just even that one piece, it's like it's like wow, where did this come from? You know, what is this? It's like from a different world or something. It's like a ruin of an ancient civilization that no longer exists or something. Like, oh, this was like from Atlantis or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I really I, I thank you for sending it. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Thanks for listening. Discussion is created by Tape Op, the creative music recording magazine. Free subscriptions are available at tapeop.com along with our regular podcast and online content.